0: Good morning, let's turn to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, we'll be starting at verse 63, when you read through this passage you get a little bit uncomfortable at how they treated the Lord Jesus. I was thinking uh, this last weekend about the name Jesus. You know, and I talk to people, and some people that profess to be Christians, I find conspicuous when the name Jesus doesn't come out of their lips. Sure, they'll mention the word God, but not Jesus. Um, They'll mention the word churchgoer, but not Christian. So that's conspicuous to me. It makes me wonder, where do they stand? Do they really know Jesus? We're going to talk about Jesus and who He is this morning. We're going to talk about probably the most important question that you can face in your whole life. And that question is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? And it's not a once-and-for-all kind of answer to a question. You'll find that it's a good question for a Christian to ask as well one that knows the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. Because we have to ask ourselves that same question every day we wake up. What will I do with Jesus today? And so as we go through this passage, we'll see what some people did with Jesus. And then we've got to ask ourselves what we do with Jesus. And we're going to talk about who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, and what does that have to do with us. So let's start in verse 63. And the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. And when it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they said to them, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. And they said, what further need do we have of testimony, for we have heard it Ourselves from his own mouth. Then the whole body of them arose and brought, them, brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It is as you say. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes, I find no guilt In this man, but they kept on insisting, saying, he stirs up the people teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Jesus, what will you do with Jesus? I remember for the first time I heard it, and I believe it's true. Jesus is the first and the only man that was ever tried and convicted, not for what he'd done, but for who he is. For who he is. They didn't report to Pilate what he said, who he said he was, the Son of God. He said he was a king, Christ, the king or a king. So they weren't at all truthful. Jesus, who is Jesus? That's a very important question, and it's a question worthy of consideration. Who is Jesus? We read in Matthew 16. Verses 13 to 17, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He liked to call himself the Son of Man. He was the Son of God and the Son of Man. Well, who do people say that I am? That's what he asked the disciples. And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So there was a confusion out there as to who Jesus was. But all of those people were men of God, but they still didn't know who he was. And he said to them this very important question, and it's a question that I posed to you this morning. It's a very important question that everyone must answer. Whether they don't do it verbally or audibly, they do it in their hearts. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? The answer to that question is crucial to where you will spend eternity whether it be eternally separated from God or forever with him, enjoying the pleasures of his presence forever. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Son of God. Wow. What a statement. The, living, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He didn't come to that conclusion on his own, you know. It wasn't something he went to school for, studied for, took an exam and got the right answer to. That was a revelation from God the Father, who Jesus Christ is. And so someone can't come to the, Father, come to the Lord Jesus Christ unless the Father draws him near unless the Father opens your eyes. But there has to be a desire on the part of the individual to have his or her eyes opened as to who Jesus is. And I appreciate the sincere prayer a person can make to God. Show me who Jesus is. I want to know. I think he honors that prayer. Who did he claim to be? Who did Jesus claim to be? We read in our passage in verse 70 of Luke 22. They all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. I am the Son of God. So he claimed to be the Son of God. And a lot of people wouldn't take issue with that. Matter of fact, you ask people, Who is Jesus Christ? He was the Son of God. Really? What does that mean? What does that mean to you, Son of God? The Son of God. Well, there's some people that believe that. When you say son of God, that means you're saying that he's equal to God. And some people would respond to that, no, I didn't say that. I said he was the son of God. You mean he's not God? He's the son of God. He's not equal to God? No, he's the son of God. And they'll stand on that tenaciously. They will not say he's God, but he is the son of God. Well, are they right or are they wrong? And what do you believe? Well, there's a scripture, fortunately, that makes it clear to us, because when Jesus made the claim to be son of God, he made it in a certain cultural setting, with a certain understanding, really, uh, under penalty of death. Because if you claim to be God and you weren't, there was the penalty of death, stoning, blasphemy. So it's something you, you couldn't do lightly. So, let's see if people understand that term correctly here in this passage in John chapter 5. I love to turn to it. Jesus had cured an individual who was uh, lame, I believe, for 38 years. And Jesus healed him, but he healed him on the Sabbath. And you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And Jesus, that was considered a work by some... And it says in verse 16, And for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And this is what he said. He answered them, My father is working until now, and I I myself am working. Then verse 18, For this cause, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father. And here's the key making himself equal with God. That's the way the Jews of the day perceived Jesus' statement that he was the Son of God. God was his Father. He was saying that he was equal with God, the Father. Now, if Jesus was indeed making that claim, and he wasn't indeed that person, then the only penalty for that was death, stoning. So do you think it's something someone would make lightly? I wouldn't, you know, that's like going to, uh, going to, oh, what country, Iran, where they have those radicals there, and taking the Quran, and putting it on the ground, and standing on it, you know what they'll do to you, they'll kill you, I would not do that, because I don't want to die doing something silly. So Jesus right here has every opportunity to clarify that if that was a misunderstanding. So let's look in this passage and see if he clarified it or not. Because definitely if the penalty was stoning and he wasn't making that claim, he had every opportunity to make it clear right here. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things also the Son does in like manner. Oh, you think I'm saying I'm equal with God? Well, what he can do, I can do. What's he, what is he clarifying there? You go further down in the passage. The father loves the son and shows him all things that he is doing. I know all things that he does. Matter of fact, I know all things. Only God knows all things. And greater works than these will he show them that you may marvel. Just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. God the father gives life to who he wishes, and I give life to who I wish. So what he's saying basically is, do you think I'm making that statement? Let me clarify it for you. What he does, I do. What he knows, I know. He gives life, I give life. Do you think they had it right? He was making the claim to be equal equal with God. That's what the Son of God, the term, means. And further, it says that he's given all judgment to the Son. So when we die and we face God in judgment, it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ that we're going to be facing. And here's the key, too, because throughout the whole Bible, God, and and really in all of creation, God is in a separate category than everything else around us. There is the creator. There is the creation. We all fall over to this side. Everything we see and hear is on this side. But God is the creator. And they can't be mixed. God has a place of honor that no one else has, that nothing else has. Throughout the scripture, we see that God doesn't give his glory, doesn't give his honor to any. It's his and his alone. And so when we worship anyone or anything besides God himself, we're, we're offending a holy God is what we're doing. But it says here in verse 23, in order that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. What a statement. Jesus is saying, I deserve the honor, the same honor you give the Father. And he goes on to say, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. That's equality, the highest order. The Lord Jesus Christ proves himself to make the claim to be equal, equal with God. Just as the Father has life in himself, even so the son, he gave the Son also to have life in himself. Only God has life in himself. We don't have it. The Lord Jesus has it. And we find further in scripture, just trying to get a picture of who it it is that we're looking at in this picture. Who it is the guards were mocking. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. God made the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. I love that. It takes me to uh, uh, the science classroom. When you think what holds the the protons in a nucleus of an atom together. I learned when I was little that opposites attract and lights repel and magnetism. So you have all these protons in the center of an atom and they're held together by what? Cosmic glue? No. Jesus holds them together by the word of his power. Imagine what if he released all that just by a word. That's the power of God. And when he had made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited more and a more excellent name than they, For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son? That's God the Father speaking of the Son. That's my Son. Holding all things together by the word of his power. The exact representation of my nature. You see the Son, you see me. You look at his nature, that's my nature. It says in Colossians 1, And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I probably don't need to remind you that you are a created being. (laughs) You were created by him. But think about this. You were created for him. For him. And there's a lot of preconceived bad ideas about what that means. But I like to translate it in, you were created to enjoy the heavenly bliss of a relationship with the one that created you. Created you for that relationship. Created you with a heart that longs for that relationship, whether you can identify it or not. Something that nothing else here on earth can substitute something that nothing else on earth can can match that fulfillment that he wants you to experience because that's what he made you for. He made you that you might know him. So, that's who Jesus claims to be. That's who the Bible presents him as. No other book, no other religion in the world, or religion in the world presents someone like that. He is a unique individual. So you might ask yourself, okay, well, why is it important to know who Jesus is? There's a lot of people, people I always get asked this question. Well, what about those people that never heard about Jesus? Well, if he's the creator, he's the creator. If you haven't heard of him, well, you haven't heard of him, but he's still the creator. He doesn't stop being the creator, stop being God, stop being the almighty one just because somebody hasn't heard about him. He is who he is. So why is it important, you might ask? I love this passage. Everybody knows it's my favorite passage. I go back to John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and here's the key, and who it is to you who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, if you knew the gift I have and who I am, you'd ask me and I'd give it to you. What is that gift? He says, living water. He goes on to clarify wasn't talking about the water that she was drawing from the well. He said, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So what Jesus says, I have something very special to give those that ask. Those that know who I am and that know what I'm offering, I, I have a gift for them. He called it living water. He called it eternal life. It's to know Him, a personal relationship with your Creator. Now, to some people, that sounds appealing. To other people, it doesn't. What's the difference? What's the difference? Sometimes it's what people think they have to give up to have it, things they don't want to give up. But I want to tell you there's nothing on earth that could compare to what He offers. Nothing. I've chased a lot of things, and I've found pleasure and excitement in a lot of different ways, but it was all empty. It all led me to craving for something else until I finally considered maybe, maybe what I'm looking for is something that God has. <laughs> and that's exactly what it was a relationship with Him. So, that's who Jesus claims to be, that's who He actually is. What he promises is eternal life. So the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? There's a lot of different things that people do with Jesus. Some people keep them right in here up on a shelf. And anytime they want to look at them or talk to them or whatever, they might pull it down, maybe twice a year. Is that what you do with the Creator? The God of heaven and Earth, the God who wants a relationship with you, the one that you can't be fulfilled without. It doesn't sound right to me. We have a situation here where Jesus is standing before some guards. And the question can be asked, what will they do with Jesus? Well we see what they did. It said they mocked him. They hit him in the face. They spat on him. Very disturbing, very disturbing. Because when I think of who he is, I don't use the term was because he still is. When I think of who he is, doesn't that put the fear in you? To think of someone treating the almighty creator, God incarnate, like that? With that kind of disdain? He could have, and and my mind goes here, he could have cleaved the earth right then and there. And hung those guards right over the edge and put the fear of God into them. But he didn't do that. He could have released the power that holds the nucleus together in all the atoms in the universe at once. Could have called 12 legions of angels to his side. That would have put the fear in them. But he didn't. Why didn't he? Because through it all, God was accomplishing his purposes. And I'm encouraged when I see that, not see him being mocked and treated this way. But here's why I'm encouraged. Because the Lord Jesus Christ entrusted himself to the Father. And the Lord Jesus doesn't ask us ever to do anything that he can't relate to or that he hasn't gone through and he hasn't done himself. And sometimes the Lord asks us to do things that seem difficult. Children, obey your parents. Sometimes that seems difficult. Husbands, love your wives. In my case, it doesn't. But in your case, maybe that's a difficult thing to do. I thought that one out first. Um. Husband loves your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Obey your elders. Submit to, to, to the authorities. Sometimes that's pretty hard to do. All of those can be hard to do. Or you can see it that way. Well, the Father said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Submit yourself to these guards. Wow. He had every reason in the world not to, didn't he? But he did. And they mistreated him and mishandled him. But through it all, God worked it out for his glory and our salvation. And so I'm encouraged because when it says to children, Obey your parents, God knows they're not perfect. God knows husbands aren't perfect. God knows wives aren't perfect. God knows our government isn't perfect. But he still wants us to submit because his will will be done through it. And the way we submit, our example is the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't open a word against him. He could have lifted his hands and blown them away, but he didn't. He submitted. That term mocking sort of disturbed me. I had to look it up. And in looking it up, I I think I got a greater understanding of the word now. I looked up the definition, a transitive verb, to treat with contempt, ridicule, or deride. Another uh, form of the word is to disappoint the hopes of. Another one, defy or challenge, to imitate, to mimic. But I was looking at at that part, to treat with contempt, because I I really, I look back on my life, you know, uh, and I'll tell you about his experience, but I want to look at this definition first, because to treat with contempt, sometimes... I'm not as ed- educated as some people in this room, <laughs> so I have to look up words in the dictionary. So mocking is one of them, and sometimes the definition leads me to look up another word in the dictionary, right? So to treat with contempt, I looked up contempt. What's contempt? You know, and we, we, we tend to take a word and throw it in its context and think that we know what it means, and sometimes we're surprised. So contempt, and as a noun, means the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, Treat with contempt. It's beneath consideration. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? But it lends a light on the word mocking. You know, when I consider something not worth consideration, Jesus makes the claim to be God. Now, that's not worthy of my consideration. I'm too busy. We're really mocking him. Okay? Beneath consideration, worthless or deserving scorn. The, the guards were using it as disturb, uh, deserving scorn, but there were plenty around that didn't consider Jesus uh, someone to be considered. Con- didn't consider his claims something worthy to be considered. Here's the second part of contempt: disregard for something that should be taken into an account. Into account. So to mock is to treat with contempt. Contempt is to disregard, is to have disregard for something that should be taken into account. Okay, so we're going to talk about some weighty things here. The Lord Jesus Christ claimed, for one, who he is, what happened to him when he came to earth, and where do you stand? What will you do with Jesus? That is something I will guarantee you is worthy of your consideration. And if you don't think that, then we're talking about mocking God. Okay, Uh, Mocking, mocking. Taking something, not taking something serious that we should take seriously. I can remember, I can remember in my memory, it might not be the first time, the first time I remember the word mocking, and I I must have heard it before that because it popped up in my mind, and I, I I wasn't one of a great vocabulary, so I don't know why, but we were walking down Southland Mall in the early 70s, my brother, my sister, and a couple friends, and my brother was out in the lead, and some girl, you know, you could tell she was trying to get people's attention as they walked by, and my brother was just walking by, and I could hear what she said, she said, have you heard of the word of the Lord? And he said something off the cuff that was just mocking. You know, just said something that just showed total contempt for what she said, and he thought he was funny doing it. And I remember the thought that went through my mind. Man, I don't want to be found mocking God, because that's what it sounds like he's doing.
1: And I wasn't religious.
0: I didn't go to church. I, I'd been to more funerals than church ceremonies when I was little. I, I didn't know anything about God, but I knew one thing. I didn't want to offend him, and that sounded offensive. So she, when I came by, she said, have you, heard of the word of, have you heard the word of the Lord? And I said, no. And so I stopped to listen, because I wanted to show a little respect. So um, to this day, 10 years later, I was saved. The Lord saved my soul. I have the forgiveness of my sin, the absolute assurance that if I die, I'm going to heaven, not based on what I did, but what he did on the cross for me. 40 years later, my brother doesn't know the Lord, and he seems just as far from God as, as he was at that point. And I go back to that day. I wonder if that had anything to do with it. It says, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he'll re- uh, reap, you know, to his flesh, corruption. So my brother was mocking God, and 40 years later, he still doesn't know the Lord. But, you know, I think there's active mocking and there's passive mocking. We can actively mock something, show disdain or scorn verbally out loud. You know, joke about something like these guards were doing. We could do it passively just the same. Did you know that? I think, um, and sometimes it's hard to figure out which one's what. <laughs> Fast forward into my life, probably about eight years later, driving around on a Harley Davidson that I bought was on a front cover of a uh, magazine, Chopper Magazine, picture of the devil on a horse with pitchforks on the tank, and across the tank it said hellbound. Now, is that mocking or what? That's mocking. That's mocking the whole idea of hell. It's an in-your-face attitude like, hey, I don't care. Go ahead and send me. Because I thought that was cool. Because the world thinks that's cool. Right? Not a fear in my body. You know, it's like just mockery. You know, the Lord had mercy on me. Um, So I've learned a little bit about mocking. And I've learned that you can mock without knowing that you're mocking. When I rode that motorcycle, I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know the word of the Lord. And I rode that thinking I was cool. And if somebody were to say, you're mocking God, I'd say, what are you talking about? Unless they explained it to me. So I was mocking God without knowing it. And you know, when I think of passive mocking, I think I've probably been guilty of mocking God even as a Christian. And I hope that you can walk down this path a little bit with me And be humble and sincere and ask God, if you've walked down that path, that he might show you. Because it's not honoring to God and it doesn't bring his blessing. And it's something I need to repent of and I need to recognize it when I'm doing it. And so let's think about that for a minute. We read, and this speaks of it to me. Um, There's a lot in the scripture that God lays out. It's all truth. It's all for our good, and God has set up things for our good, and he lays it out plainly for us. There are people I hear that I don't believe that's the word of God. I don't believe in God. I don't believe that. I don't believe that either. Well, it says here in 1 John 5, 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. God can't lie, can he? For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. I shudder to say that. When people don't believe what God says, do you know what they're saying? You're a liar. And I do it sometimes for emphasis when people lie. At school, I said you're a liar. What, you calling me a liar? Yeah, because you lied. Well, when we don't believe God, that's what we're saying to God. And, and that might not sound like mocking to you, but if I put it in a different way, it'll sound like it. Like when I was in grade school, liar, liar, pants on fire. That sounds like mocking, doesn't it? Well, this is mocking of the highest order. Most offensive to God is when, a, he, when you say, even in your heart without saying the words, I don't believe that, God. God says, you're on the road to hell because you're a sinner. And people say, I don't think I'm that bad. What they're saying, God, you're lying. I'm not that bad. You see, and they might not realize that that's mockery. It's mocking God. It's not believing what he says. It's taking what he says and considering it contemptible. That's not worthy of my consideration so far from the truth. They're calling God a liar. And so it's what I call passive mocking. Because the same scripture that tells us that we deserve to go to hell also tells us that the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Those are precious words. And it continues to confound me how people don't believe in hell but they're the same people that believe in heaven. (laughs) I'm thinking it's the same word of God that tells you about both. How can you reject one and claim the other and be at peace with yourself? Both are true. Both are presented. So do Christians mock God. I think we do. I know I do Um, and I'm grieved to say it and I want God to show it to me when I do so I can repent of it because he is faithful and just to forgive me and to you if you know him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, it says in Galatians 6, 7 and 8. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For if the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit receive eternal life. So that's a, that's a principle that really even makes sense. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You plant tomatoes, what's going to come up? Peaches? Tomatoes, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that. Even kids know that. Well, there's a spiritual parallel. I believe God gave us the physical creation to teach, about, teach us about spiritual truths. And that is when we sow to the flesh, that's what we'll reap from you know, and you, and you see it, you, uh, you know, it's easy to put the spotlight on someone else, so let's put the spotlight on Hollywood, right, I was, we were just walking down in, uh, I think it was Brentwood, yeah, Brentwood, and it had, on, it had out on the, on the sidewalk, it said Botox treatments, you know, Botox treatments, what's that, Andy Goodwin says, oh, that's from the blowfish, that's poisonous, highly poisonous, so you have people injecting poison in themselves, why, take away the wrinkles to look better? You ever see pictures of it going wrong? Now you have a picture of sowing to the flesh and reaping corruption. (laughs) You know, you're sowing to the flesh. All that time and energy that goes into making the body beautiful and make it look young sometimes can make it look older. But either way, we're marching toward old age. You can't stop that. (laughs) Okay, so so when we sow to the flesh and we think, oh, that's all right, we're mocking God. That's okay. I can do it. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Well, I'm sorry it doesn't quite work like that because even Christians reap what they sow. You know, we have, and this is what gets me, we have um, a certain segment of society that, in that segment of society, you have diseases that are a result oftentimes of participation in the sin of that segment. That's sowing to the flesh and reaping corruption. God makes that rule, he shows it to us, and in the end, it's going to be shown to be true 100% of the time, all the time, for eternity. You reap the, to the flesh. You're going to, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You seek to satisfy your own personal fleshly desires in this life, and you don't give consideration to your spirit, to where you stand with God, to where you'll spend eternity, then you're going to end up in hell. That's the cold, hard truth. How do Christians mock God? You know, some of the verses that have meant a lot to me, and because they're so convicting, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I mean, that is very few words that say so much. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Let me ask you this. Have there been times in your life that you don't do what the Lord says? Will you do what you want? And you you won't say this out loud, but I'll say it for you. Who cares what he wants? You know, I have heard so many times people justify what they do by saying, well, it's the Lord's will. Why? Door opened. If I walked through every door that opened, I'd be shot, you know? Um, People fool themselves when they say such things. You know, it's God's will. It's God's will. You know, there's very... Clear guidance in seeking God's will in Scripture. We were just talking about it the other day. Um, someone asked me about God's will. Well, this thing about God's will, how do you know God's will? Well, you know, there's principles in determining God's will. And the best illustration I've heard so far is a captain of a ship going into a dangerous harbor that had dangerous reefs on both sides. There's only one way in, and he's got to get in at night. You can't see anything, moonless night, no stars. How's he going to do it? Well, his friend goes up to the captain. Captain, are you sure we're going to make it in there safe? He says, oh, yeah. How do you know? Oh, I know this harbor. Well, I can't see anything. How? He says, you see those three lights there on the horizon? He says, yeah. He says, watch them for a while. Tell me if you notice anything. So he's watching about a half an hour later. He goes, I noticed something. He says, what would you notice? He says, they seem to be getting closer together. can see how they are. He goes, you see, they're all in line with the only entrance into this harbor. And when those three lights become one, then we head straight in, because we know that's the safe way in. And that, for the Christian is a good illustration of knowing God's will. You see, one of those lights is the word of God. You want to know if you're in the will of God? Compare it to the word of God. (laughs) Does it match up with the principles in the word of God? Sometimes there's a specific verse, sometimes several. Sometimes there's a principle, but it's got to be there. What are some other lights? Well, counsel. Children, do you have parents over here that love you? that only want the best for you. You think they're going to give you bad counsel? Not if they can help it. <laughs> Seek counsel from the elders. We have to give an account for your soul in the fear of God. You think we want to give bad counsel? I guarantee we think twice and we talk about it about five times before we give counsel. That's a light. That's a safeguard, you know? People get the cart before the horse. Maybe one of the last lights might be circumstances, you know? Yeah, I can see the principle in the Word of God, and yeah, that that, you're getting counsel there, and it's encouraging you in that direction. But guess what? It's not happening. Oh, maybe that's not the Lord's will. You see, somebody that takes God's word seriously is going to be very careful about these decisions that are so important in their life, because they mean a lot when it comes to eternity. They mean a lot when it comes to relationships. They mean a lot when it comes to your fruitfulness and enjoyment of your creator in this life. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He goes further, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me you who practice lawlessness. And what a scary thought. There are a lot of people out there that believe they're okay with God and this is what they're gonna hear. But you know what? He's given us the word of God and it ferrets out all those cases so if a person really wants to know, there's no excuse. God's given us the truth. God's given us the truth. Another way, let's see. I ask let me ask you this. I'm going to throw a question out there, and I want to hear some feedback, some participation, but I'll try to paint it clear because I ran it by a couple of people. It wasn't so clear and come up with different answers, but I want to tell you. Santa and I were talking about in the car a time that where I was back in the Navy. I was in San Diego, and a friend of mine, he had bought a brand-new Chevy Malibu, and that was a cool car back in the day. And uh, we were pretty close. He trusted me, and he had to go on a four-day weekend out of town and he needed to ride to the airport I rode a motorcycle so that wasn't going to do he had luggage right so he said Eric he said can you do me a favor I said yeah he said hey, can you you know I'll pick you up in my car we'll go to the airport take my car home park it and take care of it and then come back and get me uh, when my flight comes in at the end of the four-day weekend I said sure I can do that with, for you and so he trusted me. So uh, at the end of the four-day weekend, I came back. I met him at the at the uh, airport, and he came back. And then, you know, the first thing I noticed he was doing is sort of walking around his car. Yeah. <laughs> Brand new car. You want to make sure there wasn't a scratch on it. It was precious to him. He gets in the car and he looks around. And he goes, "Wow, this looks cleaner than when I left." Did you clean this car? Yeah. Wow, thanks. And then he's probably starting to wonder why did you clean my car. <laughs> Sticks the key in the ignition, turns the ignition, and he, he you put 1,200 miles on my car. Four days, right? Where'd you go? I said, just to visit some friends. Where? <laughs> San Francisco Bay Area. I was in San Diego, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> what do you mean it's wrong? Let me use your car. You're supposed to park it. I go, well, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, you still got your car back. It's in great shape. You still got all a bunch of more miles to put on it. <laughs> So my question to you is this Was that right what I did? No What did I do wrong? If you were to to nail it down to one thing wrong that I did With one word What did I do? Broke his trust But that's more than one word (laughs) Pardon? Disobeyed. Disobeyed Okay well he didn't say I couldn't drive it farther You know I mean I had to get to his house right? 600 mile detour. <laughs> Anybody else? One word? Took advantage. took advantage. Two words? Deceived. What? Deceived. Deceived. Okay, listen, I used to do this a lot, so it's easy for me to guess. This is what I used to do a lot. I used to steal. Did I steal from him? Stole I stole miles from him. That's right. He bought a car. He was expecting so many miles, the life expectancy of that car, and I stole some of those miles probably a good portion of them in his mind anyway, right? I really stole from him. <laughs> we were good friends, and he was a little upset, but he got over it. But now as a Christian, I look back on that and say, yeah, I was a thief. I stole that. I stole that from him. He didn't have any intention of giving that to me. Had he said, yeah, I'd drive it wherever you want, then that would have been a different story. You said, I, you, said you know. But no, I didn't say you can drive it to the San Francisco Bay Area, you know. Okay, so it says in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 6.20 and in 7.23, it says, You have been bought with a price. I'm talking to Christians now. Two verses, You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You see, when we look at that verse, and we're honest, I think everybody in this room that knows the Lord Jesus Christ would have to say, at one time or another, they've mocked God. Mock God because they stole from God. I've done it. You've done it. We used our time for our own pleasure. There were a time in our life where we knew we should have done this and we did that. For whatever reason, we robbed God. And when I think of the Lord Jesus Christ going through this experience, he did not rob God. He was exactly where he was supposed to be experiencing exactly what it's supposed to experience, as uncomfortable as it was and how unjust, how unjust it was, he did it. And as a result, we can be brought to God, given eternal life as a free gift. He died on the cross for you and me. Had he had any other attitude, we'd be lost forever. And he's not locked to asking us to go through life without pleasure. <laughs> but there's an important agenda that he has that agenda is one, the salvation of souls, reaching out to the lost. I don't know how many people I've gone by that I've talked to that I knew were lost and I didn't tell them about Jesus. I stole from God. I was mocking God. It's like a sign over their head, this one's going to hell, talk to them. And I turned away. I mocked God. Not worthy of my consideration. i got more important things to do. Mock God. So Christians can mock God. It's so easy to do without knowing that you're doing it. And I hope after today, we all might think about, am I mocking God? Will I mock God today? Think about that. In closing, I'd just like to mention um, something about myself. You know, I oftentimes do silly things, even as a Christian. I've been in t- at times where a Friday night thing, and at some places where we're singing. And of course, there's always a beat to when you're singing. How many people like to clap hands with a lot of people when you're singing? It's sort of fun, isn't it? Some people are a little bit shy, you know, embarrassed. They don't want to stand out, the first ones to clap. But once people get started clapping and everybody in the room's doing it on the same beat, it's fun. Well, a little bit of mischievousness in me. What I used to like to do is skip the beat. And you'll know what I mean when I talk about marching. (laughs) It's a change step, they call it. Change step march. So the beat's going like this, and you hit the same tempo, but in between. You do that two or three times, you know what's going to happen? Somebody else is going to match your beat. And you'd be surprised how easily you can get that whole audience beating with you in sync everybody's with you now. And sometimes I'd go for the extra fun and I'd change it back. <laughs> it was just a challenge, but it was fun. You know How easy it is to get somebody to march to your beat. You know, You just have to do it resolutely. Don't change, don't give up. And somebody's going to march to it. Pretty soon, there's a Lone Ranger out there. How long do you think he's going to withstand? He knows he's on the right beat. He knows it started out this way and he's been paying attention, but guess what? Everybody else is doing it. You know? I'm looking like the odd guy out. I mean, my friends that know it's the wrong beat, they're even doing it. Right? Well, it's like that for the Christian in the world. There's two drummers in the world. You know? Whose beat are you marching to? Satan is the prince of this world. And it says you can't be a friend of the world without being an enemy of God. There's a beat that he's constantly beating out. And you'd be surprised how easy it is to get Christians to march to the tune of the wrong drummer. We should be marching to the tune of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one beating out the, 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 the strokes for us. And you have to be close to him. And you have to listen and you have to be near him because you don't know when your brother or your sister is going to start marching to the tune of the wrong drummer, sometimes without knowing it. So whose tune are you marching to? We need to walk circumspectly. We need to be careful. God's got a purpose for us in this life, and it's not just to waste time doing what we want. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I have to confess I've mocked you. And Lord, I'm more ashamed of mocking you since I've known you than before. You've been so gracious to me, to show me. So I pray, we pray, Lord, that you'd show us when we're marching to the tune of the wrong drummer. When in passive ways or active ways, we mock you, we repent of that. We pray that you'd show us Every day when we do it, when we don't believe your word, when we take on the world's values, when we prize them, make excuses for not doing what you want us to do because of what the world says. Lord, we pray, help us to show, help us to see our mockery that we might repent of it. Lord, and if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that doesn't really know what I'm talking about, pray that it might stick with them what you promise and who you are, that you're the living God. That you made them, made their soul to have a relationship with you. And that it's a relationship of love that brings great pleasure, Lord. And it's a free gift, the gift of eternal life because of what you've done at the cross at Calvary. Lord, if there's any questions they might have, then they might have the courage to ask those that know you here today. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.